Good morning and welcome to Green Left Radio on a special edition here, here this morning. It is special because we had a little bit of a technical problem. Uh, 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 just earlier, don't worry, it's all, it's all fixed. So we have in the studio here myself, Dennis, um, Jacob, and, and Zane. Excellent. So, uh, well, so what's, in, what's in store for Green Left Radio this week? Well, uh, we have an interview with someone from the the national pre- organizer of the Safe Schools program, which has been under attack from the government. Uh, we have an interview with Rob Pine, a Queensland member of parliament who's recently quit the Labor Party and gone to the crossbenches. Um, and he's actually a big fan of uh, Bernie Sanders, and he's not a big fan of uh, coal seam gas production and coal mining, so that'll be really interesting. That's excellent. Yeah, just on the topic of safe schools, there was um, yesterday we had there was a rally um, in support of safe schools in Melbourne, and over apparently over seven thousand people showed up, and that was in very rainy weather, so that's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, nice. How many people? Over seven thousand, apparently, but wow. I could be wrong. But it, it was in the, it was definitely in the thousands. Well. well. Which yeah. is incredible for like you know a weekday night rally and uh, um, and of course it was pouring rain. Yes, right. yes, and it was very humid too. So uh, good, on, uh, good on all these uh, all those people who came out to support our popular one, the the best school initiatives that this country has. Yep. So um, probably one some of the recent news um, has been um, just to go. We meant, Zane mentioned um, that from Rob Pine is a fan of Bernie Sanders, and actually what's kind of significant recently, what happened was um, Bernie Sanders had won the seat of um, Michigan, which, yes, which is yes, very did. significant. And but what actually makes makes it quite significant is that um, Michigan is, um, is a state in the U.S., from my understanding, that has quite a high proportion of Muslims, mm. that has quite a high... And, um, and Arab, Arab Americans in general. And Arab Americans in general, and, you know... One of the things about um, Bernie Sanders that distinct, um, distinguishes himself from, like you know, under, other candidates, is that he actually has made a, a clear, firm stance against Islamophobia. Because mm. since 9/11, there's been this sort of cropping kind of Islamophobia um, that the American government has liked to push. You know, it's a kind of tactic Absolutely. to divide and rule. So, yeah, and um, obviously, a lot of Muslims are like you know, in support of. Um, are supporting him because of his clear stance on his absolutely, and uh, and it's also it's also quite encouraging to see a um, vast majority of Arab Americans or Muslim Americans actually supporting a socialist Jewish man yep. uh, running uh, running for president. Yeah. So well, because there's there's this sort of tendency within you know the mm-hmm. ruling class or the they like to say that you know Muslims are, you know they're like racist. They're, exactly. They would never vote for a Jewish exactly. president. They would. And of course, it was interesting. One in one anecdote, there was um, a Muslim who was explaining why she was voting for Bernie Sanders. She did not care that he was of a different religion um, from her, and so. And I think it's a really sort of amazing sort of showing how Bernie Sanders is uniting different people um, mm. just by making a sort of clear Absolutely. stance. Absolutely. And also, also, it's, also, it's important to know that the Sanders is now actually starting to really gather the African American vote yep. in. Um, uh, in the United States, unfortunately, while he uh, sort of while he while he did uh, he did while well, he did manage to win uh, Michi- Michigan, he did lose in Mis- in Mississippi by yep. a large uh, uh, margin and a large proportion of the African American population there did support uh, Clinton. But at the same time, at the same time, there's uh, there's, there's there's growing. Uh, 
uh, support for Sanders among among the African Americans. There was a debate recently, uh, I think, on, um, uh, between Dr. Cornel West, who is a keen supporter of Sanders, yep. and um, another uh, uh, sort of an, uh, another African American uh, activist. I can't, can't quite remember uh, her name, but uh, they kind of kind of illustrated uh, uh, the really the need. For the African Americans to uh, come out and support Sanders, he's, he's, he's actually been the only candidate to express his support for Black Lives Matter yep. openly and uh, and and actively, and actually um, tackle the systemic racism, the uh, tackle well ta- tackle uh, xenophobia and racism that, that is inherent in the in the capitalist system itself, rather than just uh, you know. Um, uh, sort of presenting himself as uh, you know being sort of the uh, uh, be- uh, better than Donald Trump on the issue. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's um interesting with Donald Dong- Trump. Um, Bernie Sanders was actually in the last Democratic debate. Um, mm-hmm. Was actually asked a question, as far as I know, about um, racism in generally, and he um it was pretty good because he sort of made this very firm stance against um you know any racism any kind you know, and he was like sort of arguing for like a position that you know. Immigrant workers and American workers should have equal rights. Mm. It doesn't matter if they're Mexican or, you know, mm, mm. Um, Latin and um, African America, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And on the topic of um, Latin America, even though Bernie Sanders, I would say, be critical of him and say he hasn't been the best in terms on Latin America, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, he's actually been in a recent Miami debate. He um, He's actually been firm in the stance that, you know, or the American, America should not intervene in Latin America. Mm, absolutely. I mean, there are limitations he's just in that he doesn't, he sort of doesn't really support, like, you know, he was on record to say that Hugo Chavez was like a communist dictator. But of course, I think this is such a, st- um, a, f- a, prog- a step forward from, you know, previous presidents, foreign policy positions, which was, uh, it's, it's, very interventionist, where he's completely against, he's made a firm stance against com- being, um, interventionist and he's, um, condemned, you know, Harry, or Harry Kitzler, whereas Hillary mm. is always been sort of like in support exactly. of those things. Well, Clinton was the, was the mastermind behind the, the, the coup in Honduras, which is, yep. uh, and now resulted in the death of one of the most renowned environmentalists in the world. Um, the, uh, uh, Bretta Mercer, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, so yes, it's, it's, def- it's definitely a good, uh, great step up for uh, for Bernie in, yep. terms of, in terms of in terms of Latin America. Yep. Right. So, what uh, in, in, well, in national or more international news? In more international news, um, well, I've really been I've only been sort of really sort of following the Bernie Sanders kind of thing, <laughs> but um, they might well, is the hot issue at the moment. Yes, the yeah, whole America um, is filling the burn, but um, there's some. <laughs> Well, is there any sort of international things you can um, talk about? Well, uh, uh, well, uh, as comrades, uh, as, as comrades know, last last week we talked about we talked about more in detail about Lat- about uh, Latin America. Yep. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. There is. Uh, <coughs> Uh, unfortunately, while the um, while the while the United States is uh, actively filling the burn, and uh, Jeremy and Jeremy Corbyn is uh, trailing through uh, uh, the United Kingdom on his uh, JC4PM uh, music tour. Yep. In Latin America, things are not lo- looking quite as enthusiastic 
for uh, for the left in general. Yep. As uh, we discussed on the last week's radio show, the <coughs> there was a, a recent uh, referendum in Bolivia yep. resulted in a defeat for the sitting socialist indigenous president Evo Morales. Yep. Um, in, in just going sorry to change the topic, but in Venezuela, didn't the right hasn't the right wing opposition actually been on record to say they want to oust? Um, 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 Mandora. Exactly. Right. And so, what are, what is sort of the developments that are sort of happening regarding that? <coughs> well, uh, uh, pr- probably in, in, in Venezuela, the left prob- has, is probably facing the most difficult si- situation across uh, across the, the whole continent, and it's not. And this is something that they've actually been facing. Well, basically, since the moment that Chavez took office in 1999. But uh, in the more recent developments, the. Um, the uh, left-wing ruling party, United Socialist Party of Venezuela, actually managed, uh, actually lost uh, the Venezuelan National Assembly elections by a huge mar- margin back in de- back in December of last year. So yeah. the, the so the right-wing opposition actually managed to get get almost uh, two-thirds of the of all seats in the National Assembly, and um, which. Um, which, well, if they had, they managed to get two thirds. They, they, they. There's a possibility that they could have actually convened a constituent assembly and changed the constitution in their favor. But it seems that that, that is now unlikely. Uh, but the kind of the kind of the strategy they've been pursuing since uh, since uh, since, uh, since their victory in December is actually to is actually to is actually yeah exactly to uh, implement regime change. Uh, through several, uh, th- several, several techniques. Uh, number one, it's the consistent. Um, number one is to block any progressive legislation that Nicolas, that President Nicolas Maduro yep. uh, puts uh, puts in front of the, in front of them. Most of the legislation is actually meant to fix the huge economic crisis in the country, yep. as well as facing well, after, uh, since the. Uh, since the huge drop in oil prices, Venezuela has been facing, uh, you know, uh, you know, th- uh, over 100%, um, uh, well, you know, uh, over 100% um, uh, inflation rates. It's been facing huge shortages of uh, uh, basic, basic goods and um, other severe, other severe problems. So this, uh, so the opposition is, is exploiting that and is also helping to manufacture that uh, through the through the control of national assembly. Yeah. At the same time, they're uh, quite re- uh, just more uh, more recently the uh, the heads of the opposition announced that they will implement a uh, they will they will tr- they will try to implement a recall referendum. In, yep. in Venezuela, almost any any, polit- any politician of any level can be recalled after half of his term has uh, expired. Which they, uh, and they and they have announced that they uh, they will now convene such an assembly to uh, to oust uh, to oust Nicolas Maduro and hold new elections. But um, that that I'm a psychic, kind of confused because didn't they already have elections before and didn't the right wing opposition yeah. win the majority of the seats? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. So uh, the the opposition the opposition actually has control of the assembly, but it has no control of the government per se. Oh. So, so so what they're it's trying to what are, from my understanding what they're trying to do is basically they want to have 
full majority control of them because in, exactly. in because it sort of works like you know the Australian Parliament where you know some of um, Maduro's the left um, won still won seats yes. but they actually want to get rid of they want them to lose any form the left wing to have lose any form of influence on the government that's what the idea of ousting them would be but for the right wing opposition well yes yes uh, in uh, in a way in a way yes so. Uh, so, if, I mean, look, since, since Venezuela has a presidential system rather than, rather than the rather than the you know the parliamentary system like uh, like, like Australia, yep. that, no, no matter what happens in the assembly, the president has still has still has the power. Yeah. So, <coughs> uh, it's, well, it's far more like the United States in some ways. Oh yeah. yes. Or Argentina. Yeah. Yes. Um. Alrighty. Uh, well, I've got this interview with Sally Richards, which I'll play just in one second. Green Left Radio. Alright, uh, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR Breakfast. Now, this morning, we have an interview uh, with our regular panellist, um, Lalitha Chalia. And she interviewed Sally Richards, who is the national coordinator of the Safe Schools Program, which has come under attack from the government. They're holding a review. Looks like they want to get rid of it. Apparently, stopping bullying of LGBTI young people in high schools is uh, ideological brainwashing or some garbage like this. Um, so, yeah. You know, the stats, 3CR listeners, the you know massive rates of, of self-harm and suicide amongst young LGBTI people. It's really important to have programs like Safe Schools. And, uh, yeah, check this out. And welcome to 3CR, Sally Richardson. Uh, today we're interviewing uh, the National Program Director, Sally, in relation to the Safe Schools program. Yeah, uh, thanks for the invitation. Well, uh, welcome aboard. Okay, Sally, maybe we should start off with um, basic stuff like what is a Safe Schools program? Yeah, look, it's, um, it is a national program. It started off in Victoria, as many of your listeners would know, um, in 2010, and that was funded by the Victorian government. And in 2013, the Australian government then decided that they would also fund the Safe Schools program and roll out that same model to every single state and territory so that all schools would have access to that level of uh, resources and support. So really the funding was in recognition by the Victorian Government, then in turn the Australian Government, that really um, what was happening in Australian schools for same-sex attracted intersex and gender diverse students, but also staff and families, wasn't a good situation and they needed to do something about it. So high levels of homophobic and transphobic violence and bullying, um, poor school engagement due to discrimination and isolation, students missing classes, changing schools very frequently, hiding at lunchtime, not going to the toilet all day, so all these things really were alarming to the government, but also alarming to schools. So schools could see what was happening and they didn't know really what to do about it. So that level of expertise and experience around supporting um, this particular group was really not there in Australian schools. So what, um, what the government wanted was some expert advice and support to be made available um, to any school that needed it really. So how the um, program works is that we, we operate on two different, in two different ways, really. So one is really around speaking to that safety piece, which is around reducing homophobic and transphobic bullying and violence. And the other, and that might be physical or, or verbal violence, 
but also it's looking at um, very importantly promoting actively promoting inclusion actively promoting respect and acceptance of diversity so those two prongs of the program we work very hard with schools to make sure that if they want some advice and support in those areas we're able to give it okay now, the, the, I watched the Q&A program last Monday and I was um, shocked uh, in the sense the sort of questions that were being asked and the sort of homophobia that was being displayed was absolutely disgusting. But the, that, I guess, uh, for me, confirms as to why this is a, a necessary program, especially among kids. Now, kids are known to be you know, quite harsh on each other sometimes and this just adds to that portfolio of aggressiveness and perhaps even a bullying um, behavior where it exists it just reinforces it now you you um, obviously worked hard at this program what are the um, you know difficulties you've had in firstly establishing it and now running it yeah look um, we've had over 520 schools join the program so certainly there's a big um, demand for the services offered through the program. I think the uh, the schools that are using the resources and supports are incre incredibly positive about the program and the kind of support that they've been able to receive. So we have hundreds of testimonials from that have been sent to us from principals and teachers and parents and students really talking about the the difference that it has made in their lives and the effect that the coalition support has had in turning things around for them. So yes, there is a lot of misinformation out there and some of that misinformation is being spread uh, quite deliberately, I think, and you know, including what we saw on the Q&A program. And really that's, um, that speaks to the fact that um, we need to get out accurate information about the program that we need people who have experienced the program to speak about the program and say this is what this is how it helped me these are the kind of supports that are available so that is absolutely happening and we have backing from over 100 community organizations right across the country and that includes a number of mental health and well-being national peaks like beyond blue and headspace calling for support for the program but also groups like Australian secondary principals association uh, the national parents and families peak which is the Australian Council for State School Organisations. So organisations like that, individuals like um, Ministers for Education, Human Rights Commissioners, such as the, the National Children's Commissioner speaking out about six weeks ago. So really they're, they're the individuals who are leaders in the community and uh, who the schools and the community look to for guidance. So I think the, some of the nonsense that's been spread about what the program is doing is really just mischief making and I think people should um, really look to people who are in a good position to understand the program and you know the resources are all there on the website and and we've and it's an extremely popular website but downloads are just going through the roof um, and students and staff contacting the program for supporters is really um, peaked in recent weeks which has been really heartening that's really good to know yeah it is yeah, and, and the other question I would ask is, being a national program and being sponsored by the government, uh, I'm just wondering, is this being rolled out to all schools, uh, regardless of whether they're public or private? Yeah, look, how the program works, it is a voluntary program and it's available to any Australian school, so that's primary and secondary, and that's independent Catholic government schools. So really it's um, 520 schools so far where the principal has put their hand up and said, we want to access safe schools resources and supports can you please give us a hand 
So that's how the program works and within the program we have a range of things like professional development, we have um, resources such as booklets and guides for students and staff, we have advice and ongoing support where the school can pick up the phone and say, hey, these things are happening, we really need a bit of extra help. Can you come and visit us and do a bit more PD? Or can you come and visit us and help us to meet with, with this family? They've got a child who's transgender and we need some help to make sure that their experience at school is really, really positive one. So really that's kind of how it works. It's not a program that we implement in a school, but it's a program which really is um, a program of staff that offer a suite of resources and supports that the schools can choose from. So I think that is why we do have so much support from departments of education, because that's exactly what they want for, for their schools, for them to have somewhere to go to to get expertise and, and resources if they've got something that they need help with. One of the biggest problems we see in schools these days is that there is a scarcity of counsellors. So how is this program going to be implemented? I know you will um, provide resources to teachers, but they are mm-hmm. already overburdened with a multitude of other problems, social problems they are struggling with. So is there any additional funding to help um, with providing counsellors who maybe have expertise in this area or not? Yeah, look, how, how the program works, it is a whole-of-school approach, so that means that um, we we try and assist the school to get whole of school culture change. So that means that when we do the all of staff uh, PD, that's absolutely with uh, school welfare staff like counsellors, but also administrative staff, teachers, school leadership. And through that method, we hope that all parts of the school community, all parts of the of the teaching and um, school staff, understand the concepts of gender diversity, um, sexuality, and intersex and really understand what kind of experiences might those young people, teachers and families be having in the school community and how, we, how can we better support them. So we have a range of practical strategies and tips that any part of member of the school community can adopt, which is respectful language, which is inclusive, um, uh, inclusive language in the classroom in terms of talking about relationships and talking about families. And it's incredibly powerful the difference that that would make to a young person sitting in class, just to know that the teacher is talking in a way that includes them, and that means that they feel included in the school, they want to come to class, and they and they can do well just like any other student. So the really what what we want teachers and other school staff to um, to be there for for students is not to um, you know have a student come out to them and whisk them off to the counsellor, but to have a student come out to them and, and say, thank you for telling me, thank you for trusting me. Um, is there anything, and that's, you know, that's good news for you, I'm glad that you're able to tell me. Is there something that um, if you need any help on or let me know if there's any questions that you have or any hand that you need? So really in that way we are hoping that all school staff can become a supportive adult for those young people. And if a student does need counselling, then absolutely those counsellors have also been introduced to the material. But also we help schools to connect um, their students with external peer and mental health services if that's actually needed. Hmm. Uh, A curly question. How do you negotiate a conversation with people who oppose the program on the basis of religion? Look, what we've found is, because we actually have a, a lot of religious schools who have signed up to the program, and others that are already starting to undertake change in their, in their schools prior to joining. And that's Anglican schools, Jewish schools, Catholic schools. 
We have a range of different independent schools that have become members and really that's a recognition that all schools and all school staff recognise the need for students to be safe and I think because we can all agree on that it's actually puts us in you know the schools in a in a good position to um, joining the program or not undertaking the steps within their school to make sure that it's safe and make sure that it's inclusive of all their students because they don't want their students dropping out either they don't want their students facing bullying or violence or discrimination and they want all their, their families in the school community to feel good about being there so really um, we encourage all schools to um, adopt some of the practices that we are talking about in our guides whether they join the program or not really at the heart of all this work and the work of a number of other organisations who are working in similar ways to the Safe Schools program is really for them to get behind their students and keep them at the, at the heart of what they're doing. Mm, sounds good. Now, where can people find info on this program? Maybe you could tell us the website and so on. Yeah, sure. I'd love people to go and check out all the resources. So it's safeschoolscoalition.org.au and there you'll find... Things like the testimonials that I mentioned, the list of supporter organisations that have publicly backed the program. But you'll also see um, the guides that we've produced, such as a guide for hosting an inclusive school formal or a guide to supporting a student who is affirming their gender in school. We've got a number of booklets and resources that really, really can help schools across a number of different areas. What would your advice um, be to parents whose children go to schools which don't have the program and are seeking support or how they can access this program? Would they yeah, look, that is a common way for a school to get involved, which is um, parents having a chat to the school leadership saying, hey, we want our school to be a safe and inclusive one for same-sex attracted, intersex and gender diverse young people. So how about we join the uh, Safe Schools program? So that's one way that, that, um, that a school gets involved. Also teachers within the school might raise it with school leadership or indeed the school leadership themselves hear about the program and say, we want this school to be one that's leading in this area. We want this school to be safe and inclusive for every single student. Because as we know, there are LGBTI students, staff and families in all Australian schools. So really every school should be taking steps to make sure that all of their school community feels welcome. And it really doesn't take that much. It's really a series of small um, steps to make sure that just the different parts of the school community aren't exclusive, that they are inclusive, that they're not accidentally discriminating against anyone in the community and not accidentally offending anybody. So it's quite simple steps that schools can take. Sounds great. Thank you very much, Sally, for being not available. Not at all. No okay. problem. Thank you. Bye. Perfect. And that was... Sally Richardson, who's the National Program Director for the Safe Schools Coalition Australia, which is the accurate name for the program. And this is about the LGTBI community and they being kept safe in schools, especially the children, of course. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. All right. And thank you to Lali for that interview with Sally Richardson, the National Coordinator of the Safe Schools Program. And if you want to know more, safeschoolscoalition.org.au. And, yeah, 
Jacob was mentioning before, pretty staunch rally last night. I just wanted to make a, I just want to make a quick correction. I accidentally read um, the reports of the rally as the thousands, but it's actually in the hundreds. So um, still a very big turnout. I don't have the accurate sort of data, but it was my. It was there was at least over 500 to 600 people in the attendance of the rally in Melbourne. As far as I know, it is the only rally um, in the country at this point. I did not hear any reports of any other rallies happening other than Melbourne, but um, still, it's a very big turnout. And um, props to the organisers at Equal Love and Melbourne who um, organised it. So, yep, mm, excellent, good stuff. Uh. Now we'll just we'll just finish off with our international news update and then move on to local news, followed by an interview with the Queensland Independent um, MP Rob Pine. Sorry, Pine. 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 Sorry. Uh, uh, sorry about that. <coughs> now in Europe, there's been uh, there's, there's been quite a few uh, positive notes uh, coming through. First, uh, first and foremost, uh, there's been huge celebrations in the Basque country as the uh, Basque political pr- prisoner Arnaldo Otegi was released from Spanish jail after more than six years. That's Emma Clancy writing for uh, Green Left Weekly. So Otegi, Otegi has been a leader of the uh, Basque struggle for self-determination and, w- and was jailed by the Spanish state for organizing support for the independence of the Basque country. And uh, just and uh, just reading about his case, there have been some incredibly ridiculous charges that have been laid against him. For instance, in 2005, I think he was actually jailed, was actually sentenced for insulting the king uh, after he... Um, after he mentioned to the uh, to the uh, journalist that the you know the previous uh, king of Spain Juan Carlos II was actually responsible for the death and torture of Basque of uh, Basque journalists um, um, and, uh, and and other members of the Basque independence uh, struggle. But at the, uh, at the same t- time, though, his latest uh, re- uh, release has uh, has been greatly celebrated um, by both the Basque uh, independence uh, leaders and the and the mem- and, mem- and members of uh, the uh, well the uh, the comrades in Ireland, uh, Sinn Fein, and as as well as uh, uh, well as well as well as uh, many of his uh, numerous and very famous supporters like. Um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the former Latin American presidents Jose Pepe Mujica, Fernando Lugo, and Manuel Zelaya. So, apparently, a good uh, a, a good news uh, story. In another very insignificant and once again a very good news story, uh, in in Ireland, the austerity the pro austerity parties got a real beating. Uh, this uh, just just this past uh, elec- uh, election. So, in the, as in the sign of popular anger, the combined vote of the two of the two dominant of the two dominant parties of uh, in Ireland, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, has fallen below 50% for the first time in Irish electoral history. Well, uh, while the while the Irish Labour Party, which was the partner to the neoliberal Fine Gael, and effectively, uh, uh, and effectively, a partner in the harsh austerity program in Ireland has been practically wiped out uh, in the, in the election. At the same time, the anti-austerity vote jumped up spectacularly uh, in the election. So, on the left, uh, uh, Sinn Féin's seats tallies rose from 14 to 23, 
and its share of the popular vote was from well, rose from 9.9 to 13.8. Uh, at, at, at the same time, at the same time, the uh, the, the, the far left parties have also scored a very, some very important victories, as the socialist candidates from the anti-austerity alliance and people before profit ticket uh, benefited from the anger, the austerity, and politics as usual, and won six seats and 3.9 percent of the vote. Um, other independent, other independent left-wing parties have also sm- scored important victories. Workers and unemployed action also got returned to the doll, that's the uh, the Irish uh, the Irish uh, Parliament, and and, uh, and another anti-austerity group, Independence for Change, won uh, won another four seats. It is also important to note that uh, throughout the entire election campaign and, well, basically the last uh, year and a half, the politics in Ireland has been dominated by one very important issue, and that was the water charges uh, campaign. For those those who don't know, the water charges were a latest scheme of the the Edna Kelly neoliberal government that was implemented, uh, well, in in order to uh, squeeze more, more... uh, more, po- more profit from the ordinary uh, Irish, uh, uh, from the ordinary uh, Irish people, forcing them to pay for a utility which they are already paying for with, an- with, with, a- with another charge, which should actually uh, really be distributed for free since it is an essential service. So two two imp- very important grassroots movements were set up in the last uh, two years. That was the uh, right for cha- right to change, which was. Uh, set up as the, as the sort of the, the political grassroots movement and the right to water, which was the uh, which was the social movement, uh, was supported uh, supported by pa- political parties like Sinn Fein, anti-austerity alliance, and tra- important trade unions like uh, man uh, like Mandate. So, uh, so the, the neoliberal, neoliberal parties got got what they got what they deserved, and it's certainly been a victory for the anti-austerity uh, movement in Ireland. Ah, now, now, just uh, just a tiny bit of uh, uh, a bit of uh, most important local uh, local news, and then we shall move on to our interview with Rob. Oh, yeah. So, in terms of local news, I'm just going to do a sort of quick summary. Um, many would know that the 8th of um, March on Tuesday was International Women's Day, and um, I'll just summarise sort of some few things. Um, those who know of it, um, the big, um, may have heard of the Big Steps campaign. Um, the Big Steps campaign is basically, uh, it's a, it's a campaign by, um, early childhood educators, um, that's been called, organised by the union Unite Voice. And, um, their whole issue is really that, um, in early childhood care education, um, early childhood care Professionals are paid um, a third less than those teaching caring for children only a few years older. And, of course, one of the reasons for that is, like, you know, systematic kind of sexism because, you know, 97% of early childhood care educators are actually women. In On International Women's Day, an interesting kind of action happened. Um, this was sort of um, in in a sort of considering kind of a feminist kind of legacy. Um, Zelda, what... Zelda, I don't even know how to pronounce her name, her last name, but a group of early childhood educators in, um, basically shamed themselves in, um, to the Prime Minister's office, um, um, to basically call for, you know, equal, um, 
equal pay and um, increased pay for early childhood educators. Um, that was quite a um, significant action on um, on International Women's Day, uh, very symbolic as well. Um, another thing on International Women's Day um, that happened was, and this is quite in bad news, is that um, Malcolm Turnbull apparently, well, the, his government apparently um, took away domestic um, violence leave, pay, um, do, domestic violence leave for or um, parliamentary workers in the, in the in the in that service. So yeah, and um, other other news on International Women's Day for more local even more local kind of mythic. Um, we, there was um, a successful um, rally um, in Melbourne on that day. It um, wasn't a big rally, but we got it released over 200 people. Um, it was much bigger than last year, um, simply because um, this um, the International Women's Day rally had uh, much larger support from the unions, so there was a much bigger union mobilisation. Um, than um, four, so and fortunately I wasn't able to attend the rally in full, so I didn't get to hear any of the speakers, so I didn't really know about what the speaker platform is and so on. Another thing um, in relation, um, last weekend was um, Mardi Gras. Is that how you pronounce it? Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so though, um, it, one thing that's different, politically significant thing that happened. Um, there was um, basic, there was a, a float called No Pride in, um, in Detention. Um, the purpose of this float was to call in detention kind of the injustice of um, LGB queer refugees who are currently suffering detention because a lot of refugees um, are escaping countries where homosexuality is illegal and so they come to seek refugee um, refuge in Australia. Of course, they get deported, they get sent to Nauru and Nauru, it's illegal to be homosexual, so they basically fake. They go escape one country of injustice and then get persecuted into another. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things with the no pride and detention float is it actually um, started off. Um, it was originally um, the org- um, it was originally planned to be um, behind because it, those who may know, let the Labor Party were had their own float. And um, the no pride detention float was actually originally planned to be behind um, the the Labor Party. Wrote. However, some controversy happened there, and um, while this is a matter of debate, there's rumours that Bill Short and and the Labor Party were very uncomfortable um, with um, with, <laughs> really? with the idea of the no, of a no pride detention float being running behind them, especially because the Labor Party have. Exactly the same mandatory detention policies as the Liberal as, government. As Turnbull. Um, I but, can't imagine why they would be uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. About uh, but um, there's um, been video footage leaked. Ed, um, um, not um, basically one of the organisers of Mardi Gras, basically intimidated the organisers of the No Pride Detention Float. Um, this is there's video footage of this, and it's been spread all over the Guardian. He was basically um, he basically intimidated the No Pride Detention Float organisers and said that 
if you uh, even you know if you even hassle uh, Bill Shorten, Mr. Shorten, you you you'll be in a lot of trouble and basically you'll, you'll be yes. kicked out. Yeah, you'll that be kicked out. That was basically that yeah. was basically the line. And um, yeah, well, I had to uh, the, the line was a little bit more uh, how do I say it? <laughs> put it, to, put it on, the line itself was had a bit of a little bit more harsh words in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I didn't. Even, I can't really. Yes, we can't. The, the words we cannot say on live radio. Yes, it's like and. Um, so as a compromise, um, essentially, I'm pretty sure the no pride and detention um, float had to be go all the way back to the vote. They still were able to get their message, but unfortunately, they were not able to run behind the Labour Party and show the kind of demonstrate the kind of injustice kind of policies. I can't, but I can't imagine anybody wanting to run behind the Labour Party these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, let's hear about the Palm Sunday rally just briefly and then we'll go to this uh, interview with the Queensland MP who has left the Labour Party, Rob Pine. Alright, so you are listening to Grand Life Radio. It is about a quarter to eight and we've got a bit of an exclusive interview this week. Uh, Rob Pine, uh, the member for Cairns in the Queensland State Parliament, uh, quit the Labour Party this week and he spoke to Green Left Weekly's Peter Boyle and, uh, yeah, there hasn't been a great deal of, let's say there's not an in-depth interview like this with Rob Pine out there. So it's, uh, yeah, a bit of an exclusive, which is exciting. And, uh, yeah, it's really interesting to hear what, uh, Rob Pine's got to say. Um, yeah, point of interest, few points of interest. He's the first, uh, quadriplegic member of parliament, I think, in Australia. Wow. Uh, I think certainly in the Queensland parliament. Um, he's yeah, a local community activist up in Cairns, and uh, yeah, he's he's not a big fan of coal seam gas, um, you know, fracking, destroying farmland and, and rivers in Queensland. Not a big fan of the Carmichael coal mine and this expansion of fossil fuels in the midst of climate change. And uh, he's a fan of Bernie Sanders, so yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Um. He will also he will also be a speaker for the Socialism for the 21st Century Conference. So, um, talking about building, um, I think, advancing the move, social movements in Australia. Excellent, Mike's. There. All right, good. All right. So, because we're having some technical difficulties, I'm just going to kind of give a summary of a quick news story. Um, this is sort of um, unfortunate kind of news that happened. Um, on the March 5th, but apparently, um, well, this is actually good news as well, but I'm going to the bad news part first. Um, but on, on March 15th, um, uh, swatchstickers and white power slogans were sprayed onto a number of um, Indian-owned and other stores and restaurants in West Footscray. Um, in, in, however, in, respo- um, in response, um, a team of volunteers descended on Sunday morning to scrub out the Nazi symbols and slogans such as White power, and of course, I'm not going to say this one on on the road from Barclay Street shops and restaurant windows and fences. Um, Brett Long, who organised the cleanup, said he wanted to send a message that the local community overwhelmingly supported the businesses and those who rang them. And he's quoted as saying, "On one, on the one hand, you could leave it there and they could feel unwelcome, or you could show the exact counter to the hatred and clean it off." He said. Yeah, nice. Uh, good to see some local sort of small businesses there in Footscray rallying. Uh, around the you know ethnically diverse community there and saying no to racism and fascism. Okay, so we've got this interview now. This is Green Left Weekly's Peter Boyle talking to Rob Pine, 
who has quit the Labour Party and joined the crossbenchers in the Queensland Parliament. Now, Rob, you made a big decision uh, to resign from the Labour Party and continue to sit as an independent, as the member for Cairns. And in your resignation, you, um, you cited uh, three main areas in which you think the Labour Party has, has lost its way or, 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 or gone away from traditional Labour movement values. Uh, do you mind talking a bit about that? Oh, look, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, you know, one thing we don't have in Queensland uh, is an upper house. And sometimes it feels like uh, the multi multinationals and the big corporates are actually acting as a de facto upper house here in Queensland because it seems neither side of politics uh, will put any legislation forward or amend legislation that, uh, that threatens the uh, economic domination of the big uh, multinational companies. And uh, that's the same whether it's uh, Monsanto or Santos or, or, um, or any of those big companies. And one of the um, concerning things in Queensland is the environmental impacts that that's having. Now, you cited in particular the Adani Carmichael mine. Now, this is a, this is a big issue. It's not just a Queensland issue. It's an issue with huge... Uh, national ramifications and I would some people would say global ramifications as far as climate change is concerned. Now do you have a clear position on this? I do have a very clear position against the Carmichael mine that is being proposed by Adani and it's really a double whammy um, in terms of the Great Barrier Reef because as we know um, the amount of uh, carbon emissions um, are unsustainable and for that amount of coal um, to be dug up and burnt is going to just create um, feed in uh, to the climate change that's currently happening. And when you add that to the fact to get that coal exported will involve massive dredging operations at Abbott Point, um, you know, I think it's fair to say that you can't talk about saving the reef and in the same sentence say you're supportive of projects like that proceeding? Well, as far as the rest of the country is concerned, it, it, it looks to them that the uh, Queensland Labor government has been clearing the way for Adani so far. It hasn't done anything to actually either stop or slow down the, the, the process of approval. Is, is that correct? Look, it, it's very disappointing. Uh, it's very disappointing that we haven't seen uh, stronger leadership. We know the science. We know what direction our state and our country needs to be heading on uh, to address catastrophic climate change. Uh, we simply can't um, countenance projects like this uh, proceeding. Um, it's a matter of moral leadership. Uh, but, you know, however you look at it, these projects, they're not economically, socially or environmentally sustainable. Uh, the mining sector causes immense disruption uh, to existing industries by moving people out of regional communities, out of manufacturing and other workplaces. Um, it actually ends up employing less than 2% uh, of the Australian workforce and, um, and of course, uh, leaves all too often um, environmental messes that the rest of us have to try to pay to cl clean up. And some of the... Um, some of the 
environmental and toxic waste um, is impossible to clean up. Now, another issue you cite in your resignation is the question of water. And uh, uh, can can you tell me about this? What's what's the what's the issue here with uh, the Labor Party, Labor government? Well, the issue is, and I've been lobbied quite uh, heavily from the Environmental Defenders Office, uh, the Wilderness Society, and other groups, uh, in relation to um, Part Four um, of the Water Resources and Other Legislation Amendment Act. Um, what that clause does, and it was introduced by Campbell Newman, um, it allows mining companies to take as much water as they need, incidental to their purposes, uh, without applying for a licence. Um, that is something that's not afforded uh, to anyone else, uh, yet it's afforded to mining companies. You know, I campaigned on the basis of not for sale, uh, keeping our assets in public ownership. We have no greater asset than our water. And not only should our water be not for sale, um, it certainly shouldn't be given away uh, to mining companies. Well, another controversial um, mining venture is coal seam gas mining. And it's, as, as far as I can see, it's, um, it's a free-for-all in Queensland in particular. And there are big concerns with, with poisoning of water supplies as well as, uh, you know, use overuse by, by these mining enterprises of, of limited water supplies. What's your position on coal seam gas mining? Look, unfortunately, 15% of coal seam gas um, exported from Queensland uh, comes by the process of fracking. And um, I guess the difference with coal seam gas is we've seen the impact on people's lives and, and uh, on families in rural areas where we've got people experiencing all sorts of health problems and we've also got an area that depends so much on water from the artesian basin and of course um, in coastal areas like Cairns to some extent uh, um, our problems get washed out to the ocean every wet season but when you are polluting those artesian basins um, that's damaging the resource those communities need um, for hundreds and hundreds of years and um, I'm worried um, of the impact that's having and we see the human impact with people like um, um, the farmer George Bender who took his life last year. I'm working with George's daughter Helen on many of these coal seam gas issues and I'm very uh, happy to see that Senator Glenn Lazarus has come out on that issue as well because we need good people um, that care about Queensland and Australia to, uh, to come forward and not be uh, bullied or battered down by, um, by the two-party system which sort of runs this country like a bit of a protection racket. Now the third area uh, which in your resignation you say the ALP has got lost is on transparency and accountability. Now you have been in the press quite a bit about this uh, in the lead up to this decision of yours. Um, are there big issues and what are the, and, and what are the important issues that, um, that you'll be standing on in relation to transparency and accountability? Well, when I was a Labor member, one thing I was quite proud of um, was the Fitzgerald reforms um, and the commitment to those reforms by the Goss Labor government. Um, now, what we've seen over recent years is a lack of reformist zeal in terms of implementing uh, those Fitzgerald reforms and moves towards even greater transparency and accountability. 
um, and that saddened me uh, because really if you don't go down this path, what you do is you leave the system open um, to one of political patronage uh, where donors subsidise candidates' campaigns and, um, and after elections uh, there's always that cloud, that, um, that, that dirty cloud about why is the government making this decision? Is this a payback um, for the electoral donations that were received? And, uh, and indeed, in some cases in Queensland, uh, it's very obvious to me that uh, what you've seen is people, um, property developers, give um, sizable donations to council candidates. Those council can candidates then get elected and approve development applications from the, uh, the very developers that funded their campaign, sometimes without even declaring a conflict of interest. Uh, that's not good enough, and, um, and the Queensland government's uh, certainly stalling in terms of taking any action on this. And, um, and it's a real shame because we've seen in New South Wales what can happen uh, with ICAC if we create a scenario where people can come forward. Uh, I would just love in Queensland an inquiry that would let people come forward about illegal activities and, um, and corrupt activities without fear of, of persecution. And certainly uh, I'd love to see our whistleblowers protected so uh, people could come out without fear of losing their jobs. Now you say that um, you 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 are you you are for the 99 percent, not the one percent. Now that has become uh, a very uh, a very popular um, um, slogan in around the world. Now in in this country, in Australia is it's not as bad as the United States, but already it seems the the richest 10 percent own more than the the, the, the rest, the 90 percent others in, in society. Um, what what do you think of the way in which things uh, have been going in terms of the, the rich and the, the, the super rich, really, and the rest? Look, it's very intimidating. And then, of course, you get the links with the media, which makes it very hard for people like myself when, when the wealthy people um, who own um, all too often the means of production are actually owning the means of communication. And um, that's why it's so important uh, that we work together uh, as activists um, to raise these issues. Uh, it's very concerning in Australia. Like We know uh, the way forward and the way to avoid this aggregation of wealth and capital in the hands of the few. And uh, the positive things we need to be doing is certainly looking at you know, issues like negative gearing, looking at um, the company tax rate. And what we should be doing with the revenue we raise is putting it into our education system. You know, we've got our state premiers and our prime minister talking about uh, innovation and being creative and, and being a smart country, but they're not spending the money in our education system. Um, why not? You know, our children deserve uh, all the opportunities uh, that are given to children in other, in other countries um, with a very um, strong social safety net and, and, and a strong investment in uh, state public education. Now, in, in saying all this, you, you are appealing very overtly and directly to traditional labour movement values, which you which you are not finding uh, being honoured in the in the ALP. Now, another traditional uh, labour movement value around the world has been, you know, a commitment to democratic socialism. Would you still um, would you still support that um, as as one of the labour movement values? 
that you stand for? Look, I certainly do. Um, democratic socialism um, is the is the vehicle uh, through which ordinary people uh, can get the representation and um, and the social safety net they need um, to improve their lot in life. And um, I think you know one of the things we know about happiness generally is um, is where there is a greater level of equality. There's a greater level of happiness. Um, amongst people and uh, where there's such a disproportionate um, allocation of wealth and it's systemic. Like um, it, it's not a situation where someone works harder and they end up uh, incredibly wealthy. You've got the dice um, completely loaded um, in the favour of, of massive companies and, um, and at the expense of small businesses. And we've seen this happen in uh, the United States as well where it's not only the working class but the middle class squeezed out as well. And um, certainly democratic socialism um, offers policies um, that allow people to be supported in the community, um, that support diversity, inclusion and, um, and a meaningful life for people. Well, you must have come across people in the ALP and, and you even find them among the Greens members and supporters who, who would argue socialism is, is an outdated label, it's a, a, a yesterday's sort of value, but um, the phenomenal support that's being demonstrated in the United States for Bernie Sanders and, and Jeremy Corbyn, especially from younger people, um, do, do, do you think socialism really is, uh, you know, uh, an outdated, outdated value? No, I don't, and, and I think, um, I think um, that the, the movement uh, of the age we're entering, I certainly hope, will be one back towards uh, democratic socialism. One of the reasons I left uh, the Labor Party is um, not just because I felt morally bound to do so, but the people in Cairns and far north Queensland are saying, well, we don't think the major parties are representing our interests and we don't think they're representing our region. So people are looking for an alternative. And uh, those democratic socialist policies, um, I believe, um, can support communities, especially in regional areas um, where market forces never deliver um, quality outcomes uh, for ordinary people. Um, democratic socialism certainly is is the key. And um, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully, um, our star is on the rise. Now you've had. Uh well, a bit more than a day now to, to get some reaction from your constituents and from other people uh, around the state and elsewhere. Uh, what's the feedback from your decision? Oh, look, I think, you know, I, I have got a lot of well wishes and, and uh, some negative response, but I think the problem we face um, as activists is that most of the community is actually disengaged so I think what you've seen with Bernie Sanders is someone articulating um, an agenda and principles in a way that has re-engaged a lot of people, uh, a lot of young people. Um, I'm not sure that uh, I've got uh, the um, charisma or the vocabulary to do that, but certainly I think as activists we need to be uh, proclaiming that message and try to trying to get young people, you know, on the electoral, engaged in the political process and understanding that there is a way forward for themselves personally and for the community as a whole. 
and, and if we can do that, um, we can give people some what the Americans call skin in the game because if we can give um, our young people and people disenfranchised um, some skin in the game, they'll want to participate and, uh, and they can work to, to help build uh, the sort of community we want. Now, among, among those who uh, might have given you a more negative reaction, I'm sure uh, there would be some who might be accusing you of uh, doing something that's going to help the, the Liberal National get back in. Now, let's, 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 uh, let's have your position clearly on this. You, 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 while you, are, you have resigned from the Labour Party, you have made a commitment to, um, to support the, uh, the Palaszczuk government in any vote of confidence. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct, and that's just a very clear and forthright way that I can say um, no LNP government will, uh, will take power um, at my hand or as a result of decisions I make. Um, I've certainly always advocated uh, voting in a manner that uh, numbers every box and puts the LNP dead last because uh, that's where they put most Australians. I, okay, is there anything you, that I have not touched on that you want to add? Um, no, no, I, um, I've probably inarticulately sort of uh, put across the message and, and, and the, the sort of philosophy we believe in. And, um, yeah, I look, I look forward to engaging and, and getting down to uh, Brisbane and Sydney as often as I can and hopefully working to uh, build a better tomorrow. Thank you, Rob, for your time and uh, wish you luck uh, in the days ahead and strength in your struggle. Thank you so much, comrade. Green Left Radio. All right, and that is a bit of an exclusive here on 3CR Breakfast. Uh, Rob Pine from the Queensland Parliament, who has defected from Labor and joined the uh, crossbenchers, speaking to Peter Boyle from Green Left Radio. Our new comrade. Yeah, so pretty... uh, Pretty interesting and exciting development there. Yeah, actually, I want to just make one comment about um, Rob Pine. Another thing that he's been quite um, in strong support of is he's been in support of um, Indigenous struggles. I mean, he's been present at the he was being present at the Cairns rallies for stop force closures. Uh, another thing was he was um, he was a big supporter of the Let Them Stay campaign. In fact, he was in Brisbane at the time when Lady Asha was in the hospital, and one of the and Despite his um, disability, he was uh, tried to use as much pe- will power he can to prevent um, Lady Ashwood from being deported. So that's another area of um, policy that he dissented from on the Labor Party, especially their mandatory um, their support of mandatory detention. Yeah, staunch. Good, good stuff. All right. So uh, just got a little community service announcement uh, about a 3CR exhibition, and then we'll go through the activist calendar for the week, and then we're going to speak to Susan Price, who's a Socialist Alliance member from Sydney and is helping organise the Socialism for the 21st Century conference that's happening up there in a couple of months. So stick around. Alrighty. Um, so it is time for the activist calendar. Uh, and the first thing I wanted to mention, a um, bit of an interest to declare here, I, I studied architecture many moons ago, I work in the construction industry, so I'm a bit of a 
bit of a, um, a green buildings nerd. Uh, there's an exhibition called Built for the Bush, Green Architecture in Rural Australia. An exhibition and talk at Yarra Ranges Regional Museum reveals that in terms of energy efficiency, Australia's 19th century settler houses were far superior to today's modern homes. Um, I think they're talking more about McMansions there rather than the niche market of, you know, 10-star sustainable buildings. But, uh, yeah, the, the curator Richard Taylor says, Australian architecture and culture engages with the environment more than many other cultures, but our environmental record is one of the worst in the world because of our high energy consumption and the production of that energy by fossil fuels. The Built for the Bush exhibition shows there are many lessons to be learned from Aboriginal and settler architecture. So that exhibition started a couple of weeks back, and it runs through till Sunday the 15th of May 2016, and it's at Yarra Ranges Regional Museum, 35 to 37 Castella Street, Lilydale, and it's open seven days, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., and it's free. So check it out if you're out Lilydale way. All right, so um, continuing on from that, um, in terms of the activist guy, today, actually, from 12.30 p.m., there's going to be a public meeting um, titled Five Years on Living with the Ongoing and Emerging Consequences for Health of the Fukushima Nuclear Disaster. Um, that is going to be um, at Melbourne University um, in the Yosuka Hayokwa Maya Room, Level 1, Sydney Maya Asia Centre. Um, and tomorrow from 10 a.m., there's going to be a protest against um, the coalition's government decision to ex- impose a, um, a healthy welfare card across free trial locations March 2016. Um, the, and it will be at the State Library, um, 328 Swanson Street in the city. And on tomorrow as well, this will also be happening tomorrow at the Wesley Uniting um, Church Upper Hall, one, um, 148 Longstow Street. Um, there will be a forum on the quest for Shreedy, um, Yingia's bid for Parliament. Um, it will be basically a meeting. Um, Yingia Makula is a Yogyakarta elder of Arnhem Land who has been endorsed by the Yogyakarta Nation's Assembly as an independent candidate to enter the Northern Territory Parliament. Um, next from that will be, um, next Friday there'll be, um, you've heard it announced before, there'll be a People's Power, um, there'll be a free CR extradition, um, at the Gertrude Contemporary Art Gallery. Um, on next Saturday on, on, Mar- on March 19th and the Sears Environment Park, there'll be a Sears Harvest Festival. And on Sunday, um, there'll be a big um, rally um, Palm, um, on Palm Sunday. There'll be a walk for justice for refugees. They'll be on March 20th, 2 p.m. at the State Library, and it's organised by the Refugee Ag- Agency Network. Uh, on Sunday night, after the refugee rally, there'll be um, a, Victor- um, a Victoria um, Trades Hall Union Choir. Titled I'll be there. It will be at. Um, it'll be at March. You'll be. It'll be. Wait a minute. Yeah, it says, oh, it says sun. This is confusing. It's the date's wrong on this, but yet yeah. it'll be on Sunday night, um, March twentieth, um, five thirty p.m. at the Metona Theatre Mechanics Institute, two hundred seventy Sydney Road, Brunswick. Um, on the twenty second of um, March, um, at the Resistance Centre opposite RMIT on Swanson Street, um, there'll be a forum on how to stop violence against women false solutions and real alternatives. 
um, on on Thursday, the 24th of March, there will be a protest, um, hands off Timor's oils, which will be to stand in solidarity with the people of East Timor and demanding their rights. And the last event for the activist calendar, there will be a Palestinian performance poet on tour. Um, his or her, oh, her name is um, Rafif uh, Zirara. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing the name correctly. Forgive me. But it'll be at the fir- um, Thursday, the 31st of March, 6 p.m. at the Khalid, Khalid Theatre at RMIT, Swanson Street. Alrighty. So this is Green Left Radio on 3CR Breakfast. And on the line this morning, we have Susan Price. Susan is a member of the Socialist Alliance in Sydney. Uh, she's an NTU member and is an organiser of the Socialism for the 21st Century Conference that's happening up in Sydney from the 13th to the 15th of May. Welcome, Susan. Hi, James. Good to be here. Hi, oh. Jacob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't have the um, headphone on. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so Susan, um, who uh, is speaking at the Socialism for the 21st Century Conference? We just heard from uh, Rob Pine uh, before. I understand he's been added to the lineup. Uh, who, who else is, is going to be there? Well, it's going to be a very exciting conference. We've got a range of speakers um, coming from uh, Canada. Uh, the Asia and Pacific, um, as well as uh, Spain and Australia. And our, I suppose our sort of headliner speakers are Marta Hanika. Uh, Marta's a Chilean psychologist, writer and a journalist and a, a commentator on the social transformation experiences in Latin America. Hmm. Um, Mike Lembowitz, who is coming out from Canada one of the leading uh, Marxist economists and Marxist authors in the world, um, who's also spent a lot of time working and living in Venezuela. Uh, so will be, you know, obviously fantastic to hear Mike talk about um, not only his research, but the work that he did in Venezuela when he was advising the Chavez government. Mm. And Ian Angus. Um, Ian is a founder of Eco-Socialism International. He's a veteran uh, activist in the social and environmental movement. And uh, Ian will be launching his new book at the conference, uh, which is called Facing the Anthropocene, Fossil Capitalism and the Crisis of the Earth System. Uh, and Ian uh, gives the great talks on eco-socialism um, and why we need an eco-socialist revolution. So. Those three speakers are, are the three special guests, but aside from them, we've got well over 30 other speakers coming from overseas and locally talking on a range of issues and an exciting lineup of activists uh, from Malaysia, uh, India, Pakistan and the Philippines uh, also participating in the conference. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, and I can see that... Uh uh, Murray activist Sam Watson is uh, going to be speaking at the conference as well. And, That's uh, right, yep. As well as Uncle Ken Canning, who's uh, Uncle Ken's leading uh, campaign in uh, Sydney at the moment around uh, Aboriginal deaths in custody, police violence uh, against community closures and uh, also against removals of children and uh, 
Uncle Sam will be travelling down from Brisbane and uh, speaking about the stolen generations on a very, you know, terrific panel called Sovereignty Never Seated, um, which will be a highlight of the conference. Yeah, nice. And uh, in the Southeast Asian and Middle Eastern region, we've got uh, Vanessa, Dr. Vanessa Heerman, talking um, about the... She's been researching the anti-communist violence from 1965 to 68 in uh, Indonesia. Uh, I understand that was the world's largest communist party at the time, uh, or I think historically ever, and uh, there was massive US-backed violence there. Yeah, well over a million people were massacred. Um, not just people who were, were known, you know, activists um, in the left, but also sympathisers, trade unionists and progressives. So, I mean, a lot of listeners would probably know Vanessa Heerman. She's, uh, she was uh, working at 3CR. She's um, based in Sydney these days at the University of Sydney as a researcher. And academic, and so Vanessa is going to be giving a talk on uh, on the, the history of uh, anti-communist violence in Indonesia. But we're also uh, hoping to have some activists from Indonesia travelling over for the conference as well to talk about the challenges of building and rebuilding the left and a socialist alternative mm. in Indonesia today. Yeah, nice. Um, I wanted to ask a question about the conference in terms of like you know what are the sort of main kind of themes that were um, that uh, that you were sort of aiming to have for the socialism for the 21st century conference because from my understanding there were like at least three themes or that I see you've been yeah, well, there, but I might I might just sort of talk more generally about the whole purpose of the conference because you know I think I think it's happening at a very interesting time uh, not just in Australian politics but internationally. Um, when you look at the sort of repopularisation of socialism that's going on today, um, certainly in the US, you see that uh, in polls with young people now who uh, identify with socialism um, and its values, uh, thanks to the sort of campaign that you know a figure like Bernie Sanders is running at the moment. Um, it's really, I guess, repopularised a word that had that was really. Um, you know, uh, almost a swear word in, in the United States for for many decades, and you also see it in the you know the rise of Jeremy Corbyn in the U.S. and the, in the U.K. Sorry, and the increasing popularity of anti-austerity parties and progressive parties of the left across Europe. So you know, I think it is it is a very good time for us to hold this conference, and I think the ripples of a lot of that. Um, you know, re-emergence, rebirth, if you like, of discussions around socialism is reaching Australia too. And I think, uh, you know, it's connecting with a level of disenchantment with politics as usual that a lot of people are feeling here and the sort of undermining of democracy and the corporate rule, you know, asserting its power um, over people and, you know, uh, what that's actually meaning in terms of, you know, the kinds of policies coming out of our government today in regard to privatisation, austerity, you know, dismantling of the welfare sector and so on. So we're really aiming to bring together um, socialists from across the Asia-Pacific, but also those who've had experiences in Latin America, from Canada, Spain, as well as Australia, um, to share their experiences of struggle, um, but also to discuss the challenges of building 
socialism in the 21st century. Um, you know, we're in, we're in a new situation uh, in many respects, but we've, we've also got the benefit of hindsight and learning from the lessons of um, struggles of the 20th century. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a very dynamic and very, you know, stimulating discussion about where to now and will, I think, enable activists in Australia to, you know, to, to both participate, hear those experiences, but also to uh, participate in the debate and discussion that will go on at the conference. Mm. I think one of the, one of the interesting things about this this summit and the, the kind of the challenge for socialists is like what we've seen in Greece with the Syriza government. Um, there's been lots of different analysis about the Syriza government over there, but one thing that you'd have to say is that if you try and have a left-wing revolution in, in one country only, you're going to come up against real challenges. You're going to butt up against the power of capitalism and that that will either manifest itself in the way of violence like in, in Chile in 1973 or in, in various other examples invasions, US backed coups and, and stuff like that or it will manifest itself in, in massive pressure like Syriza copped uh, going back like a hundred years there was a sort of, there was affiliated communist parties in different countries really working together in, in, a, in a coordinated manner. We, we don't really have that in the same way these days. So I think the conference is really interesting in uh, kind of bringing together these different left-wing activists and groups from around the world to try and, I guess, have that discussion about working together more, more closely. Yeah, well, I think the whole lessons of the Latin American experience of the late 20th and early 21st century is quite informative in this regard because, you know, you have a situation where through greater integration and um, development of solidarity amongst the various left-wing governments across the continent, um, they've actually become, you know, a strong uh, political force um, against the sort of, uh, you know, the interests of US uh, imperialism and intervention, you know, that history of intervention in the region. Um, so I think, you know, we've got a lot to learn, particularly from those experiences. Uh, but as well, yeah, I, I I mean, when you look at what's going on today with the, you know, the striking of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, I mean, capitalism and, it, and the governments that serve those corporate interests are, um, you know, finding new ways to integrate, to work together in the, for the, in the interest of, uh, you know, accumulation um, and profit. And I think it is, it is incumbent upon the progressive movement, parties, you know, the social forces to also look for opportunities where we can to, court, to uh, work together, build coalitions and cooperate where we can um, and provide solidarity to each other. So I think I think this conference is, you know, really that's what it's all about. It, it is actually continuing a discussion, I think, that's going on out there, but allowing people to come together face-to-face to continue the discussion about how we, as the left and the social movement, can um, strengthen, if you like, our side, um, not just on the national um, front here in Australia, but actually as part of an international and global movement against the power of corporate rule. Mm. Good stuff. 
looking forward to it. Um, now, uh, where and when is this, just briefly, and, and how can people book uh, for the conference? Yep, well, it's going to be held at the University of Sydney, which is very central um, to transport um, in Sydney from yep. May 13 to 15, so it's two months away. Yep. Uh, and booking is very easy. You can There's two ways to book. You can visit the conference website, Okay. Which is www. Socialism for the 21st century, all one word. dot org, uh, or you can jump onto trybooking.com and do a search on the conference name, and it will direct you to a secure pay um, registration process online. Uh, or you can visit the website, get in touch with us directly, and organise the pay. Um, by another means, if, if you prefer, um, and uh, yeah, I mean it'll be it'll be one definitely a conference not to miss if you're you know interested in social change, if you're an activist in the social movements and campaigns today, if you're interested in working with others to help build a you know better kind of society, better world, and and also learning from the experiences of people in struggle um, across the globe. Um, this is definitely the conference to come to. Yeah, wicked. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this morning. And You're catch welcome. you at the conference. Thanks for having me. Okay. We'll look forward to seeing you. All right. Wicked. Uh, well, that is us for another week. Um, next week is Sustainable Breakfast Week. And we are going to be broadcasting live from Friends of the Earth. So, uh, yeah, check out 3CR Breakfast all next week, including Us Mob next Friday. And, uh, word to the wise, I'm going to be having a wrap with my mate Siphon. So that's going to be pretty exciting. And stick around right now because the good people at Beyond Zero Emissions are once again going to be bringing you some truth bombs about sustainability. Uh, all right. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers, Jacob. Hi. Goodbye. And uh, cheers, Dennis, who has uh, had to head off a couple of minutes ago. All right. Catch you next week.